up, everybody? Today we will finish the discussion on the Kingdom Temple, and tomorrow we will move on to the final phase of the Millennial Kingdom, which leads us to the release of Satan for a short period of time, which takes us into the Battle of Gog and Magog. Can't wait to cover that. That's going to be awesome. Now, in the previous episode, I tried not to bore you with all the measurements and extensive details of the temple layout that Ezekiel gives us, but please feel free to read Ezekiel, especially the second half of it, and you can get all those details for yourself. They are extensive for sure, but what I find absolutely fascinating is the extreme precision with which it is built. Remember, this temple is basically one square mile in size, and that is staggering to try to imagine. It is also a, you know, it's a perfect square, but don't let the magnitude of this temple go unnoticed. It will definitely, definitely be a sight to see. The perfection and detail with how exact these measurements are, along with the significance uh, of those numbers used to, you know, to build this, this temple. I mean, the significance of a lot of these numbers are just, they'll baffle your mind sometimes, but I will give you another, uh, an example for, for what I'm talking about. Ezekiel tells us that there will be 10 stairs leading to the temple. 10 signifies God's authority and perfect or complete order, you know, the complete order of God. Then he says those stairs are 21 feet wide. That is seven times three. That is also super significant. You know, seven is the number of completion or it can represent 100%. And three represents completeness as well but it is often a picture of the trinity it represents perfection balance you know the patriarchs of israel there were three uh, abraham isaac and jacob even the 12 tribes were broken up you know and that's three times four and when they surrounded the tabernacle they were broken into four groups and each group had three uh tribes in it so three is a super significant number even in our own government um it was founded upon the number three, since we have three branches of government, and they're all supposed to be equally uh, balanced in the sense that they're supposed to be checks and balances for each other. One is not more powerful than the other. Uh, at least that's the way it's supposed to be. But the picture here is that these steps lead to the holy place, to the throne of Christ, and that path up those stairs to the throne of Christ, it symbolizes God's complete order and perfection. Christ will rule with God's complete authority and order will be maintained with perfection. Ezekiel goes on to tell us that believers will be able to see Jesus in the temple when they come to worship and that will be during two feasts or festivals as well as each Sabbath uh, and, and the new moon. Those are the times when we'll be, we will be allowed to come before him and see his glory and worship before him. Under Mosaic law, there were seven feasts each year, all of which were a reference to various aspects of Jesus' ministry, you know, to Jesus himself. So, but only the first and last feasts are kept active for the millennial kingdom because of their spiritual significance. Also, I don't believe it is a coincidence that the two feasts held during the kingdom just happened to be the first and last of the seven feasts under the law. To me, that too is symbolic, you know, of God being the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. The seven feasts established by God on Mount Sinai were the Passover feast, the unleavened bread or feast of unleavened bread, the feast of first fruits, uh, Pentecost, uh, 
the trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets, the uh, the Day of Atonement, uh, the Feast of Tabernacle or, or Booths. So I might do a series uh, on these feasts in the future and discuss their importance and how they represent different aspects of Jesus. But I digress for now. So there are two feasts that will be celebrated in the kingdom. One is the Passover or Pesach. And the other is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Um, that is also known as Sukkot. The Passover will be celebrated in honor of Jesus being the Passover lamb. When the blood was on the doorpost of the Jewish people of their homes in, uh, in, when they were in Egypt, the death angel passed over the home and the family was spared or anyone in the house was spared. When we come under the blood of Jesus, we are spared from God's judgment regarding sin and death. So we will celebrate that in the kingdom to honor Jesus as the Passover lamb, praising him for the finished work of the cross. Then Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, will be celebrated because it represents that God dwells among his people. Again, this is honoring the fact that God in the flesh, Jesus, dwells on earth with his people during the kingdom and truthfully from that point on. So when believers come to see Jesus at the temple, they will enter the north gate and go out the south gate or vice versa. The idea is that by making the people enter one gate and cross over and exit the, the opposing gate, they will have to pass by the temple, which will be open. It has no door, no curtain uh, like it used to. So when people walk by, they will see Jesus and the glory of God around him in the temple as they pass through. Now, let me address the sacrificial system. This could be a very lengthy discussion regarding the animal sacrifices, but I will summarize it. The sacrificial system in the Old Testament was never able to take away sin. Only Jesus can do that. It was meant to be a yearly reminder that sin is offensive to God and the nature of it was ugly and detestable. That is why the Old Testament saints went to paradise when they died, not heaven, because they had to wait on Jesus to come to, to, come to them upon his death and preach the gospel so that they could have their sin taken away and covered by his blood. They had to wait on the atonement of Christ before they could enter heaven and be made righteous before God. All the animals sacrificed in their lifetime never took away their sin. They had to wait on Jesus for that, but it did serve as a reminder that they were, that, that, where there is sin, there is death, and sin is repulsive to God, and the penalty for it is spiritual death or an eternal separation from God. So the sacrifice was teach was a teaching tool for God's people to show them how ugly sin is and the cost associated with it. It was to point the way to the Messiah, the only one who could take away sin and make us righteous before a holy God. So in the millennial kingdom, the animal sacrifices will be reinstated as a reminder or a memorial to what Jesus did for us on the cross. In the same way, communion is a representation of the body and blood of Christ that was given for us and for the forgiveness of sin and does not in any way detract from what Christ did on the cross because it is a symbolic gesture meant to remind us of his sacrifice. So it will be with the animal sacrifices in the kingdom. All those who, with a natural body or a sin nature, believer or unbeliever, will bring sacrifices to the priest who will facilitate the sacrifice on behalf of the people, not for the forgiveness of their sins, but as a memorial to Jesus 
who was the ultimate sacrifice whose blood covers the sins of all who put their faith in him. Jesus alone takes away the sins of the world, but during the kingdom, sin will be present, and therefore people will need to be taught how offensive sin is to a holy and righteous God. And Jesus will use the animal sacrifices as a means of teaching that principle, and the priests will teach the people that it represents Jesus uh, and what he did on the cross, pointing them always to the finished work of the cross. Before Christ, the blood of the animals offered a temporary covering for their sin but it could not save them or free them from the burden of sin it was meant to foreshadow the perfect sacrifice of god's only son the sacrifice that would reconcile man with their god in the kingdom it will be purely symbolic and a memorial to the sacrifice of jesus on the cross it is hard for people to stomach and understand why why the sacrifices will be reinstated And maybe I'll do a study on the sacrificial system as well in the future so we can see the significance and symbolism of it. But in the end, it is not up for debate as the Bible is very clear about the matter. We just have to understand that all of it is meant to point people to God through Jesus to show sinful man that they are unworthy of God's grace on their own. But through Jesus, we can be washed clean and made into the righteousness of him thus worthy by his blood of God's unending grace and mercy. It has always been about Jesus, and it always will be about Jesus. God did not have to allow any unbelievers to be born in the kingdom, but again, he demonstrates his grace, giving much opportunity during the kingdom for those born during that time to come to repentance and put their faith in Jesus. He is always patient with us, wanting none to perish. Like I said before, the Bible, and specifically Revelation, is really all about God's grace and mercy. But next time, we take a look at the events that lead to the end of the Millennial Kingdom as Satan is released once more for a short time, pushing us into the battle of Gog and Magog. Join me tomorrow as we continue our study of Revelation and what is to come. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us your ways and helping us to understand them a little bit more each day. I may not always fully understand, but I trust you and I trust your word. I know that no matter what it is no matter what is asked of us, it is always for your glory and for our good. I pray that you would guide us with your wisdom and discernment in the days ahead. Help us to see the path you have for us and give us the strength to walk that path even if it's difficult. Because I know wherever you lead, you provide. You are Jehovah Jireh, and you are worthy to be praised.